0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Have you ever wondered what you would do if you saw an animal left unattended in a car on a hot day? Maybe this has happened to you already and you've dealt with it, but perhaps you really have not thought it through and anticipated how to deal with what can be an urgent and stressful situation. Remember, how you react might mean the difference between life or death for that dog. There's a cute photo that is making it around on the internet as a meme. It shows a dog sitting in the front seat of a car and the window is closed. And attached to the inside of the window is a message printed on a large piece of paper which states, Please don't break the window. The AC is on, he has water, and is listening to Steely Dan. Now, whatever you think about the dog's taste in music, this image and its popularity brings up the points that leaving animals in hot cars is an issue that is on our minds, and that the owner is aware enough to protect his dog and his vehicle. I'll post the picture on this show's blog. But with summer almost upon us, it's worth reminding everyone that it doesn't take much for the temperature inside a car to become dangerously hot very quickly. Many people are unaware of just how fast the interior of a vehicle can heat up, even if the outdoor temperature is comfortable. Here's some basic facts from the humane side of the United States. When it's only 72 degrees outside, the temperature inside a car can heat up to 116 degrees in less than an hour. And when it's 80 degrees outside, the temperature inside a car can reach 99 degrees in 10 minutes. That's less than the amount of time it takes most people to run into a store. Many people think that rolling down the windows is all that they need to do. But for example, on an 85-degree day, with the windows open slightly, the temperature can reach 120 degrees in 30 minutes. That's a death trap for dogs. Some of you may remember that I had California Assemblyman Mark Steinorth on the show back in August of 2017. And to illustrate just how hot it can get inside a car, Assemblyman Steinorth and two of his fellow assemblywomen took the hot car challenge. They took a timer and a thermometer, locked themselves inside a car for 21 minutes on a day when it was 89 degrees outside, and documented how quickly the temperature inside the car became unbearable. Within 12 minutes, the temperature in the car was 101 degrees. By the time they had been in the car for 21 minutes, the temperature had reached 108 degrees, and the three occupants were awfully sweaty and uncomfortable. Boy, did they ever want to get out of that car. And if you've not seen this video, check it out online. It's called, A California Assemblyman Steinorth Takes Hot Car Challenge. Okay, so it's an interesting experiment to see how people react to a very warm environment. But remember, Dogs' tolerance to heat is not nearly as good as humans'. If it feels hot to you, it feels a lot hotter to dogs'. Think for a moment what your dog does after coming in from a walk on a hot day. Both of our dogs right away will lie on the cool kitchen tile, and sometimes one of them parks herself right in front of a fan. Whichever they choose, they let their tongues hang way out and pant. Contact with the tile cools by conduction, where direct contact draws the heat away. And the fan helps cooling by convection, where the airflow moves the heat from the animal. But as we know, panting is the primary way dogs cool themselves. And unlike humans, in which the skin perspires, which creates cooling from evaporation, dogs do not really perspire. They pant, but it's not nearly as effective as the human mechanism to stay cool in the heat. And by the way, brachiocephalic dogs, which are flat-faced, short-nosed dogs like pickanies or Pugs or Boxers, have the weakest ability to cool themselves by panting. So it doesn't take much for these dogs to get overheated. Now, in a hot car, things really can break down quickly. When the surfaces of the car, like the seats, get warmer than the animal, no conductive cooling can occur. And the dog's panting itself can even contribute to the rising temperature in the vehicle. Plus, the dog's fur can trap heat, making things worse. If a dog is panting heavily, it's because he's already overheated or rapidly approaching that point. Symptoms of heat stroke in dogs include restlessness, excessive thirst, thick saliva, heavy panting, lethargy, lack of appetite, dark tongue, rapid heartbeat, fever, vomiting, bloody diarrhea, lack of coordination, as well as high fever, muscular weakness, and even absence of panting. But keep in mind that it can be very difficult to assess through the vehicle's windows if a dog is indeed developing heat stroke, and there's no magic formula for how long a dog can stay in a hot car before she develops heatstroke. And here's an important point. We know that heat stroke can quickly kill a dog. But in cases that are not fatal, a two degree rise in body temperature can cause permanent organ and brain damage. This is something even an expert observer may not be able to reliably assess by looking through the window. And there's a point at which even a vet cannot reverse the effects of heat stroke. So for sure, you don't want to allow the situation to go on too long. Heat stroke is a very dangerous condition that takes the lives of hundreds of animals in the U.S. every year. And a bit later, I'm going to talk about how to cool down a hot dog. So what should you do if you see a dog left in a car on a hot day? I live in the hot desert of Southern California, and I can tell you I've had to remove dogs from hot cars numerous times. I actually keep a tool in my car that is made specifically for breaking a car window in an emergency. There are several different types which you can research online, and buy one and leave it in your car. It may be useful someday. Some of them also include seatbelt cutters, which you'll be happy about in case you need to extricate yourself from a bad situation. One of my animal advocate friends keeps a small shovel in her trunk just in case, and I suppose that would work as well. Sometimes you just need to use what's at hand, such as a nice sized rock, and more on that later. So how to proceed. If time permits, the Humane Society of the United States advises that you do the following. First, take down the car's make, model, and license plate number. Take some photos or videos. Take a picture of the dog in the car. Is the car in the shade? Is the car parked right in front of a store? And you could take a screenshot of your phone to have a record of the time you found the dog in the parked car. Next, if there are businesses nearby, notify their managers or security guards and ask them to make an announcement to notify the car's owner. I have found, and I bet you'll also find, that the store managers are eager to help. Next, and again, only if time permits, because remember, every minute that dog remains in the hot car lowers the chances for a good outcome. If the owner isn't found within a few minutes, call the local police or animal control and wait by the car for them to arrive. Keep the phone numbers to animal control and the police department programmed into your phone. I also think it's a great idea to recruit one or more people to help you and join the cause of saving the animal. Because if it comes down to needing to break into the car, having like-minded folks join you will provide moral support and the confidence that you're doing a just act. Plus, they can help you handle the dog once he or she is liberated and manage the situation with the owner and the authorities should they arrive. So, of course, the priority is helping the dog in the car. But you might want to learn what the local laws concerning animals in hot cars are. An increasing number of jurisdictions prohibit leaving pets in hot cars, and many grant immunity to Good Samaritans who rescue pets in these situations. For example, in 2017, Indiana became the ninth state to pass a Good Samaritan hot car law, allowing citizens to forcibly enter a vehicle under certain conditions to rescue companion animals confined inside. Presently, 12 states have similar hot car laws, but I can tell you even without a law and from personal experience, it's very unlikely you will be cited by the police or sued by the owner if you take reasonable steps. And to the contrary, you probably will be considered a hero. Also, it's quite possible that by leaving the dog in a hot car, the owner has committed a crime. So if you're sure the dog is doing okay and you've called for help, then it's crucial that you stay on the scene and monitor the dog. And as I mentioned before, it's advisable to recruit others to wait with you. But if you've now determined it's time to get the dog out, let's talk about how to do it safely. Presuming that you've already determined all the doors are locked and you cannot reach into the car to open a door... And be careful if you try because the distressed dog may be very afraid and protective. Then it's time to decide what you're going to use to break the window and how to go about it. And just a reminder, make sure that you've taken the steps to document the situation and protect yourself and then do what you need to do to save the pet's life. So choose the window furthest away from where the pet is located in the vehicle. Have a leash or towel ready to prevent the released pet from bolting out of the vehicle. You don't want the pet to become more frightened or disoriented and get struck by a passing car or run off. And the car's alarm might go off and the noise could further scare the already distressed pet. I know people, including myself, who carry leashes in their cars in the event they need to rescue dogs, either from hot cars or dogs running loose on the road, so you can get into that habit as well. Now, there are a variety of tools designed to break car windows, and I'm going to tell you about them in a moment. But be aware, without them, it can be very hard to break a window. It really takes a lot of force if you use a rock or a bat. If you don't have one of the specialty tools I'm going to tell you about on hand, you'll need to try using whatever you can find, like that nice size rock and use it to bash the window in near one of the window's corners rather than throwing it. And I guess a crowbar or a lug nut wrench might work as well. But like I said, it's going to take some force and some effort. There's a YouTube video where a police officer demonstrates breaking the window with one of those police-issue metal expandable batons and also a long flashlight. And in both instances, the window shattered easily with only a moderate strike to the corner of the window. Oh, and by the way, if possible, wear gloves when you do this, another handy item to keep in your car to prevent injury from the glass or from the animal you're about to rescue. Anyway, the video goes on to show one of the specialty tools I mentioned before, collectively referred to as window punches. And the officer takes this small tool, window punch, which is a steel-tipped point, and with a bit of firm pressure to the corner of the window, it just shatters. If you've not seen one of these in action, it's a little surprising how easily they cause a window to shatter. So it's really worth keeping in your car or in your purse or even in your keychain. And as I said before, some of them also have a guarded blade in case you need to cut a seatbelt. You can find these online and Amazon shows a variety of them with one popular brand called Rescue Me. That's R-E-S and then the letter Q, M-E. Another style looks like a pen, or actually is a pen. These are heavy-duty metal tools with sharp tips, and you just press into the window corner, and boom, it breaks. Okay, we're going to have to take a break now, but a lot more about hot dogs and cars when we're back. Animals today. Fun facts for today are about prairie dogs. Despite their name, prairie dogs are not dogs but members of the rodent family, like squirrels. They grow to be between 12 and 17 inches in length and they weigh between 2 and 4 pounds. Prairie dogs are very social rodents that live in huge underground burrows called towns where they can be tens of thousands of prairie dogs and their tunnels can travel for miles in every direction. Prairie dogs are very affectionate towards each other and will spend a lot of time grooming each other. They will also touch noses is when they approach each other like a little kiss. And these are your Animals Today fun facts for the day. Welcome back to the show. Before the commercial break, we were talking about ways to break into a car to save a dog. And we were describing how easy it is to break a window with these tools called window punches. And I'm telling you, you got to get a few of these. And as I was reading about window punches, I discovered a company I want to tell you about. It's called Mobile Glass, and it's based in Texas, and the website is mobileglassco.com. They have a program that will reimburse you the cost to replace a window that you smashed in the course of helping an animal a child anywhere in the country. Isn't that great? They say, quote, we want to do our part to help good Samaritans in a time of crisis. They have a video on their website as well, and the program is called A Smash to Save a Life. It's really admirable. So in the unlikely event that the irresponsible owner whose pet you just saved insists you pay for the damages to his vehicle, that's where this program comes in. For you, the brave, good Samaritan, not for the idiot who put his animal's life in jeopardy. It's not there to compensate the irresponsible owners themselves. Now, I've had to remove dogs from people's cars numerous times over the years, and not once have I been cited by law enforcement or sued for breaking into the vehicle. And I will continue to do it without a second thought, because to me, the satisfaction of saving a life is the most crucial issue in this situation. If you do see that someone has left their dog unattended in the car on a warm day, even with the windows open, you know, it is your business. If you don't feel you can get the dog out for whatever reason, or you're uncomfortable taking this action, here's what I'd urge you to do. Let as many people as possible in the area know about the situation. Ask for help. Ask people to wait for you. Ask a couple of people to run into nearby stores and have the owner of the car paged. In the meantime, and as I said before, take the appropriate pictures. Ask if anyone has something in their car that could be used to break the car window and get the dog out. But if you've been paying attention, you're going to go online as soon as we're done here and order a few of those window punches so you'll have one with you. Remind the people around you how quickly we must act because brain damage and organ failure can occur as a result of heat stroke. And if you don't want to break the window, and if I'm not around, chances are someone else like me will jump at the opportunity to do it. By drawing attention to the situation, you'll gather support and help for the dog. You'll also make a clear statement to the dog's owner, should he or she return to the car, that they were wrong and their stupidity will not be tolerated. It's much harder for the owner to take on a group of 10 people and say, it's none of your business than a single person. And like I said, in some states, good Samaritans can legally remove animals from cars if they have reason to believe those animals are in imminent danger. And if you want to know your state's current laws on rescuing animals from cars, the Animal Legal and Historical Center keeps track of this. Of course, I don't really care what the law says, but you might. When it comes to knowing whether or not the dog in the car is in imminent danger, sometimes you have to make a judgment call. If it's warm out, remember, it can be 20, 30, or 40 degrees warmer in a parked car. And as I said, if you're feeling the heat, a dog is definitely feeling it more because she cannot cool her body as well as we can. And a final thought on people who leave their dogs in the car on a warm day. Besides all the risks to the dogs we've been ranting about, these people are putting the rest of us in the uncomfortable position of having to make a judgment call that may involve damaging their property to save an innocent living being. We didn't ask to be put in this situation, but these owners don't seem to care about the concerns of the people around them or their neighbors or their fellow citizens. They are not only ignorant, but are being socially irresponsible and just plain selfish. I want to tell you about this online video of a real rescue from a hot car that illustrates a few things. It's pretty short and we don't have the whole story, but there's a small white dog in a BMW sedan. The windows are cracked a bit and a pretty big guy has this large rock or maybe it's a piece of concrete and he's determined to get that dog out. With him are at least two adults, which is good. He has a concerned team and they're helping him to choose which window to smash. Also good. Plus there's a lot of kids around watching and taking videos. So first he tries to break the window by hammering the rock into the side rear window, moderately hard, but it just bounces off the glass three times. Then he tries the other rear window and throws it at the window and again it bounces off. Then tries again, even harder, and still no luck. And this is a big strong looking guy, maybe six feet, 220 pounds. Well on the third try, the rock does indeed shatter the glass, and you can even see some of the glass flying outward, and he then opens the car door and takes the dog out. And fortunately the dog is fine after getting out. What happens then is not shown, but it's really great this was caught on video. Now I'm not going to argue with his method, but if you're not of his stature and you're in a pinch, you might first try to find a rock with a pointed end and strike the window in one of its lower corners first. But better yet, get a few of those window punches. So now let's talk about how to cool down an overheated dog, whether from a hot car or any cause. Maybe you encounter a dog that has been left outside on a hot day, or you inadvertently let your dog get overheated while taking a hike on a warm day, or, or whatever the circumstances. These simple tips apply. A few summers ago, we had a power outage that lasted all day long, and we're in the Southern California desert, and it was super hot outside that day, like maybe 112, 115. And as the day progressed and as it got warmer and warmer in the house, we got concerned about one of our dogs in particular, so we started cooling her down. So here's what the experts say to do if your dog has become overheated. First, move her to a cool area preferably one with air conditioning, and at the same time have someone call a veterinary hospital and tell them what's going on. Then continue cooling the dog down by using cool water, not cold water. Cool water, either from a hose or by placing her in a child's swimming pool or by placing cool, damp towels on her body. And with the towels, concentrate on the head and neck, the areas underneath the front and back legs, the pads of the paws, and the growing area. Offer the dog cool, but not cold water to drink in small amounts. But don't force her to drink. And if the dog is unconscious, obviously don't put water in her mouth. And if the dog is unconscious or is really looking sick or has confusion or has had a seizure, or if there's vomiting and diarrhea or labored breathing, get that dog to the hospital right away. And remember, don't use ice packs, because bringing the dog's body temperature down too aggressively or too quickly can be very dangerous. Okay, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today. Don't go away, more with the show right after the break.
1: Every day in our community, countless animals are starved, beaten, and abused by people and sadly most of these cases go unreported and the abusers get away with it and in many cases someone knew about the abuse but did not report it so if you see someone hurting an animal or even if you just suspect something call the police or animal control right away animal abuse does not just mean physically abusing an animal neglecting animals can be just as bad so if you see your neighbor's dog being underfed left without water or tied up in the backyard without protection from the elements, it is important to report that too. In many cases, you don't even have to give your name and your phone call may save an animal's life. Also, we know that many violent and abusive adults got their start by first abusing animals. It's true, people who harm animals often turn their violence against other people and that is a cycle we need to break. Remember, animals can't speak out for themselves so reporting animal abuse can save lives. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org.
2: probably have seen uh, recent news reports about blue-green algae causing the rapid death of dogs from exposure in ponds. There seems to be somewhat of an epidemic happening now. The three dogs of Melissa Martin died within a day of being in or near a clear pond in Wilmington, North Carolina, and that was determined to be from this stuff. Very scary. So what are the risks to dogs from algae and is this a growing problem? I want to welcome Dr. Robert Reed, Medical Director at VCA Rancho Mirage Animal Hospital in sunny and warm Rancho Mirage, California.
3: Hi, Robert. Hi, Peter. Nice to talk to you.
2: Likewise. Okay, so uh, what is going on with this algae or this bacteria, would, and hopefully you'll explain exactly what we're dealing with here, and uh, what is harming these dogs?
3: Well, I think you're you're right to to suggest that it's uh, uh, bacteria. It is actually a bacterial organism that causes it. It's a specific type of bacteria that produces uh, chlorophyll and therefore uh, can photosynthesize sunlight, and that makes it green. But sometimes blue, and sometimes they can be reddish or brownish, usually blue to green. Um, there are a number of different species of this organism, and they can be found in all different types of fresh water. It can be cool water or warm water, but they tend to grow much better in warm water, which is why we see more problems with cyanobacteria, It's the technical name for it, or blue-green algae in the late summer, early fall, because water is warmer Ponds tend to become more concentrated as they dry up a little bit, and there's more intense sunlight in the summer. All of that contribute to the growth of these organisms in ponds that are stagnant, that don't have a lot of movement, that don't have a lot of oxygen, and then provide an environment for nutrients to concentrate and these organisms to overgrow. The ponds that get the most algae or more the most um, cyanobacteria, are ones that tend to get runoff from agricultural fields or cities or livestock areas where nutrients can become concentrated and further contributes to the growth of these organisms. But it's not actually the organisms that cause the, the poisoning, it's a toxin that they produce. The toxin is usually contained within the organisms. Sometimes it's released into the water, uh, sometimes a little bit of both. And there are a number of different possible toxins produced that are somewhat specific to the individual type of organism that's in the water or the combination of organisms that's there, which is why some people may have heard of different possible symptoms that can occur, different rates of onset that can occur with these these poisonings, because certain toxins will have different effects, and some happen more quickly than others.
2: Yeah. Now, some of the news reports are, are remarkable because the illness is so rapidly progressive and so quickly fatal, it's, uh, it's shocking and frightening.
3: It, it is, it's very dramatic. Uh, it is frightening and, and, and quite tragic because um, a dog can, can appear perfectly normal and sometimes water is not obviously contaminated. You can't always tell Um, whether uh, the cyanobacteria are present in the water. And if it's a toxin that has a neurologic effect, um, then the uh, impact may be evident in as little as half an hour. Oh, my goodness. Um, Many of them, in fact, probably more of them, have uh, toxic effects on the liver or the kidneys where the symptoms may develop over hours, potentially even over uh, a couple of days. And you could have combinations of these effects that create numerous symptoms. Um, There's no specific antidote or treatment for the toxins. It just requires a lot of supportive care. Um, So uh, uh, an immediate trip to the veterinarian is a good idea to try to get some supportive treatment started uh, to help clear the toxin before an animal succumbs to it.
2: So things like charcoal and IV fluids and such?
3: It certainly could be. Uh, I think IV fluids for sure. Uh, Maybe some uh, Supplements to support the liver, potentially antibiotics, anti-seizure medication because neurologic effects like seizures are often a component. Um, in these types of poisonings. I think the first step, of course, that anyone who thinks their dog may have been exposed to blue-green algae or cyanobacteria is to wash the dog off with clear water, I mean, clear, fresh water to get any residue of algae off of the fur or any of the toxins that may be on the the dog's skin. Um, The uh, dogs are fastidious enough that they'll often lick bits of algae off of their fur that compounds uh, the problem. So they should be rinsed off as soon as possible.
2: So talk about the exposure required to cause illness. Is it through the uh, licking and uh, consuming it by the oral route?
3: a uh, good question. Yeah, it's it's primarily through consumption of the toxin in the water uh, or by consuming the algae. And, and I think one of the reasons that dogs are more often affect, affected by uh, cyanobacteria than other animals, because it can affect any type of animal, even people, uh, is that dogs tend to drink a lot of the water when they get into it. They also lick bits of algae or water from their fur, which adds to it. And dogs are less likely to avoid water that looks like it may be you know that's stagnant or may have some odor to it or may have algae or uh, other plant material floating on the surface of it so dogs tend to be more frequently affected. it certainly affect any species though
2: do you get the impression like i do that it seems to be a more common thing this season than in the past few years
3: you know, I do have that impression that you know I think, as I said, this is not a new thing. We've had problems with cyanobacteria seasonally in warmer parts of the country for a really long time. Um, but it seems like um potentially for environmental reasons that we're seeing more of it this year, and that may be because a lot of the country has had unusually warm weather, which is causing ponds to shrink more um there's more stagnation in the water, there might be areas of uh greater runoff and of course the warm temperatures will contribute to it as well. So there probably are some environmental factors that are contributing to it and and it may also be that you know our dogs are a more active part of our lives and they're getting out with us into the environment and getting into water where they may not have done so in the past.
2: Yeah. Uh, so to reiterate prevention is uh, key here.
3: It certainly is, you know, as the experience in North Carolina illustrates, you know, you don't always know by looking at the water that it has this in it. Uh, you know, the classic appearance of the water is, is one that has a film on it that looks like green paint. Um, But a lot of them don't have that, and there's no way to know whether the water is contaminated without sophisticated testing. So basically, if the water looks like it doesn't have that it's not moving, Um, if it's in a pond that's been drawn down through evaporation, if it's in an area where there's agricultural runoff or contamination that might raise the nutrient level in the pond, uh, then those should definitely be avoided. Um, I think this time of year, uh, the, the late summer, early fall, You have to be particularly careful uh, when you're outside in those types of environments.
2: Robert, we've got a few more minutes. I thought maybe we could touch on uh, two other uh, conditions uh, related to water exposure, leptospirosis uh, sometimes, and giardiasis, giardia. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about those?
3: Yes, sure. Uh, Leptospirosis uh, and giardiasis giardia are, neither of those is seasonal like cyanobacteria. They tend to be present in certain water sources all the time. Uh, Giardia is a protozoan parasite um, that if it infects a dog causes diarrhea. It's not likely to be life-threatening, but it has a a life form, a cyst form that lives long-term in water. It can be stagnant or flowing water but it, it would have to be water that's persistent. In other words, if the water dries up, like a puddle would dry up, then the giardia will not survive in that. Uh, and that's uh, a dog would pick up the giardia from that water water source by drinking the water. Uh, fortunately, most of the most adult dogs with healthy immune systems are not going to have much of a problem with giardia. We find it a lot when we do stool analysis, but it isn't always associated with symptoms. It is fairly widespread in the environment, though, so it's a decent chance that a dog will come across it if they spend a lot of time around water. Got it. Interesting. Uh, leptospirosis is a little bit more of a concern in terms of its impact on dogs. Uh, the leptospirosis is worldwide a, a very serious problem, particularly in warmer countries or warmer parts of the world, because it affects both dogs and people, as well as other organisms. Um, it's caused by a bacterium, that lives in water only It will not survive if it's dried out, and it can stay in water active for a long period of time and and requires a remarkably few number of organisms to actually cause an infection. Dogs will normally get it from drinking the water, um, but they could potentially get it from swimming in the water and have it absorbed through the mucous membranes of the nose or the eyes. Um, Giardia is transmitted through the digestive tract, usually of wildlife, and leptospirosis is transmitted through the urinary tract of wildlife. So both of those organisms are going to be more likely to be a problem in an area where there's a lot of wildlife or where wild animals share water sources with dogs.
2: And I think uh, you and I have discussed leptospirosis in the past, and if memory serves... Uh, you taught us that it can be a tough diagnosis to make unless you really are thinking about it, leptospirosis. That's
3: correct, yeah. Now, there are some useful tools for diagnosing it, but it's not something that comes immediately to mind because it, the symptoms are fairly vague, vomiting, lethargy, not eating. Um, It can be different for different dogs, and some dogs can have really severe symptoms and some can have relatively mild symptoms. So, you know, we see these dogs that are coming down with what are general symptoms of illness that are not specific for leptospirosis, and if we don't think about the possibility of leptospirosis and don't either address it through testing or treatment or both, then it can become a very, very significant problem, simply because we didn't think to look for it. Yeah.
2: Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Robert Reed. Really always appreciate your good information.
3: You're welcome, Peter. Nice to talk to you.
2: Okay, more with Animals Today after this quick break.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Lori, and today's Animals Today Minute features the world's largest land carnivore, the polar bear. Mainly receiving nourishment in the form of seals, these majestic Arctic dwellers may reach heights of 8 to 9 feet and weigh as much as 1,700 pounds. Their adaptations to surviving the extreme climate include very thick white fur, even on their feet, black skin to absorb the warmth of the sun, a thick layer of blubber beneath the skin, and large flat front feet, which aid in swimming. Newborns weigh only about a pound and stay with their mothers about two years. Polar bears are classified as an endangered species with only 20 to 25,000 left in the world. And that's this week's Animals Today Minute.
1: For more than 60 years, International Society for Animal Rights has been consistently fighting the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and advancing animal rights and animal law. ISAR is committed to advancing the rights of animals through a variety of law-based programs, including law, legislation, and legal education, both domestically and internationally. To learn more about ISAR's programs, please visit their website at isaronline.org.
0: Welcome back to Animals Today. Peter, World Rhino Day is approaching. Yeah. So I thought we'd learn some facts about rhinos. Okay, good. How many species of rhinos are there? Yeah, I've always wondered that. Five. Okay. Seven Mm. or ten? I'll go five. Five is correct. The African white rhino, the African black rhino, and in Asia, there's the greater one-horned rhino, Sumatran rhino, and the Javan rhino.
2: Okay, wow. Are rhinos herbivores or carnivores? I'm going to say they are herbivores.
0: Correct. They eat plants only. True or false, rhinos are hairy animals. Oh, I'm going to say they are hairless. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Rhinos have very little hair, mostly on their ears and the tips of their tails. Okay. So rhinos have thick skin, similar to elephants. Rhino skin can be up to two inches thick, but extremely sensitive skin, similar to the elephants. So what do rhinos do to prevent sunburn to their sensitive skin? They try to avoid the direct sun? They cover themselves in leaves? They wallow in mud?
2: Yeah. Wow. I'm going to I'm going to go with mud.
0: Correct. They cover themselves in mud to protect them against the sun rays and getting sunburned. And also, the mud makes it difficult for insects to bite their sensitive skin. And of course, the mud helps them cool off on hot days. Do you know the small, colorful birds?
2: Oh, I know where you're going.
0: Ah, called that are found throughout sub-Saharan Africa, and more specifically, on the backs of white and black rhinos.
2: Yeah, no idea.
0: Oxpeckers. Ox? Hmm. And oxpeckers are a rhino's best friend because oxpeckers eat insects and ticks off the backs of rhinos, keeping the rhinos free from some of the more annoying pests in the wild.
2: Yeah, those ticks. Ugh.
0: Male rhinos are known as bulls. Yeah. Female rhinos are known as what?
2: Mm. Oh, boy. Bull and a mm, flower. <laughs> I don't know. A, uh, a doe. Cow. Oh, yeah. Their young are called... Oh, Oh, they're not pups. That wouldn't make sense. How about, uh, go ahead. Calves. It's like too obvious.
0: <laughs> the name rhinoceros mm. means A, large nostrils, B, river horse, or C, nose horn. Mm. I'll go nose horn. Correct. Yeah, it river comes River horse, from, I think, is not the hippopotamus. Yes, hippo. hippopotamus. Yeah. So, nose horn mm-hmm. comes from ancient Greek words rhino, nose. Yep. Yeah saras horn and you're correct river horse in greek is hippopotamus river horse because hippopotamuses love water Hippos spend up to 16 hours a day submerged in rivers and lakes to keep their massive bodies cool. They're great swimmers and can hold their breath underwater for up to five minutes. And actually, some rhinos can swim. Did you know that? No. Only some Asian rhinos mm. can swim. They can cross rivers, no problem. However, African rhinos are terrible swimmers and can drown in deep water. How many toes on each foot of the rhino? Three? Four or five?
2: I go with three.
0: Three is correct. White rhinos are the second largest land mammal in the world. True or false?
2: Oh my goodness, the second largest land mammal. I'm going to say that's true. True. What's the largest land mammal in the world? In the world, the African elephant.
0: Elephants are correct. White and black rhinos are actually the same
2: color. True or false? Okay. Oh, that's a mind bender. Actually the same color. I'm going to say false. True. <laughs> Despite the names, both
0: species of African rhinos have a same gray skin color. Wow. The difference between white and black rhinos is their lips. The white rhinos have a wide, squared lip. Black rhinos have a pointy upper lip. Can you picture the lips on a rhino? <laughs> Can you picture the lips on a pig? <laughs> if you're, If you're standing still, say... 90 feet away from a rhino. Mm -hmm. Do you think he can see you? I'm gonna say no. No, because rhinos have poor vision, but they have great sense of smell, so they would probably smell you. Yeah. Are rhinos aggressive toward people? Yeah. Rhinos try to avoid contact with people, but you can encounter an aggressive male or a mother with her young, and you better watch out because they may charge. So how large are rhinos? They weigh about the same as 20, 50-pound dogs?
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: They weigh about the same as two mid-sized cars? Or do they weigh about the same as 2,000 pounds of feathers?
2: (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) I'll go with the 2,000 pounds of whatever's. (laughs)
0: Is that Whatever. Good? They weigh about the same as two mid sized cars. Wow. Yeah. It's
2: more than 2,000 pounds.
0: Yes, males can weigh up to 5,100 pounds.
2: That is incredible.
0: True or false? Humans can run faster than rhinos.
2: I'm going to go false on that one.
0: False. Rhinos are speed machines. Rhinos can run 30 to 40 miles per hour. Gee. So good advice would be to move out of their way yep. if they're running towards you because you won't be able to outrun them for sure. Okay. A group of rhinos. Mmm. It's called a crash, a bunch, or a storm.
2: Mm, Oh, wow. How about a storm? A crash. Crash. I think you told me that once before. I
0: did. So what do you do if you see a crash of rhinos running towards you?
2: Wow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Lie
0: on the ground and pretend you're dead, I I guess, right? You have no choice. The rhino's horn will grow continuously throughout his entire life. True or false? True. True. For the white rhino, the horn grows about seven centimeters per year. The Javan rhinos are only found on one place on Earth. Where is that? Not Java. Yes. (laughs) See. A wild heritage site in Java is home to the last remaining wild Javan rhinos on Earth. But they have a volcano nearby, and there's always the threat of tsunamis. Peter, true or false, rhinos are critically endangered oh yeah true rhinos are some of the most endangered species on earth three of the five rhino species are all at extremely high risk of extinction in the wild the biggest threat oh human threats yes Yes. poaching for their horns Rhinos don't really have natural predators. It's just us humans that are killing them. They say over 7,100 rhinos have been killed by poaching in the last 10 years. That's around two rhinos every day. Mm. Poaching gangs are becoming increasingly sophisticated, and in some cases using helicopters to track the rhinos, and once the animals are shot with guns or tranquilizing darts, their horns are removed using chainsaws and quickly airlifted away. The whole operation operation can take as little as 10 minutes. And if the rhino isn't already dead, it will often bleed to death. Ground up rhino horn is used in traditional Asian medicine, believing it cures a variety of things, including cancer and hangovers. And the horn is seen as a status symbol, particularly in Vietnam. You know, there are areas, Peter, where people are trying to protect the rhinos. And i read there are some areas where these rhinos are tranquilized and their horns are removed in hopes that the poachers will just leave the hornless rhinos alone.
2: Yeah, I read about that, I wonder if that works.
0: Yeah, but the horns of rhinos are made of keratin. That's all it is. Same protein that makes up our hair and our fingernails. So that's what these poor rhinos are being mutilated for. And of course, habitat loss are an increasing threat to rhinos as population by humans and infrastructure grows, encroaching on the rhino's habitat. Yeah. Okay, Peter, World Rhino Day.
2: Yeah, tough times for rhinos.
0: Yeah, really. Well, thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.